0: and we're live (laughs) hi sandy we're live with sandy gennaro my old friend hi sandy hi
1: vicky how you doing
0: you know this is kind of oh god and listen listen to this now it's oh my god and it's it's oh my god sandy it's doubling us no okay wow This is one of those days where everything is going wrong. So we have to beat the odds in business and in life because some days.
1: And in live streams.
0: (laughs) And in live streams. And so normally we'd be live on four different platforms. Now we're live only on Facebook, but I'll take it because I'll then put the link up everywhere and we'll be everywhere later. But Sandy, we're here now.
1: Awesome, that's the main thing. All's well that ends well, Vicki.
0: That's right, and I'm so glad, happy to see you again. And as I was telling you just before we went live, I found one hour ago, this represents every one of these envelopes is filled with pictures that you are in. So I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a little sample right now because you haven't seen any of these. This is, this is you playing drum. Oh, there's a ring. Let's get that ring light out of here. Uh, this is you, right uh, over there.
1: Right, with my Boy Scout shirt on.
0: Playing, playing drums with Elliot Easton of the Cars, Ricky Ver, Verde of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, of which you were a Blackheart, Huey Carroll. Right. And, and uh, who's there in the middle? And Gary Silver.
1: And Gary Silver. And, wow. and Gary
0: Silver. And, at the rock and, uh, and roll
1: cafe. Rock and roll cafe. At, that University is at the rock and City. roll
0: cafe. Wait, I'm gonna. And here, oh God, I have so many. I have you. Here, you're playing. Here, you're playing drums with Frank Stallone at my opening night of True Blue.
1: Do you remember, remember that? that I remember that flag.
0: <laughs> I mean, I. Frank have Stallone. So, do you remember that?
1: I. I kind of now it's jogging. The memory <laughs> is jogging.
0: I mean, I'm telling you, I have pictures of you playing drums with like, with everybody. It's just crazy. Back in the, what fun we had back in the day, huh?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'd like you to sit down with a cup of coffee and either scan those or take those pictures because I really love to see it. I really love to see it. Yes, I
0: promise you I'm going to send you a bat. I was going through them and I was going, oh my God. Oh, I remember that night. You and Carmine Rojas at my Spodiote gig and... um, just every you just were playing with every with Andy Timmons. What band right. was Andy in? Andy was in a big band. Andy
1: was in a band called Danger Danger.
0: Danger Danger. That's right. I saw him.
1: I saw him about two years ago. Really? In, yeah. In Dallas, I did a cancer benefit for um, uh, a breast cancer it. It's a breast cancer advocacy uh, group. Wow. Them, April Samuels. And he was mm-hmm. part of it. He did a, like a little, a little, a little thing in, in, uh, in support of that cause. So I, I actually ran into him at that cancer gig uh, in Dallas. Maybe he was like, Prior to the pandemic, but he still looks great. He's wow. still playing, playing really, really good. He does, does a solo thing now. He's got his own band, and uh, yeah, Andy Timmons, man. Does
0: he still have the hair?
1: No, he doesn't have the hair anymore. Neither do I.
0: <laughs> no, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, those days, I guess, have come. It happens on. to the
1: best of us, right? It
0: happens to the best of us. You know, I wanted we we talked a lot last time about what. Wait, a couple things we didn't talk about that I have to get in before I forget. How did you meet? I did not know John Wade back in the old days in New York. How did you and John meet? Because we've become good, for, fast friends now.
1: Yeah, I, I love, yeah, we're we're friends on, on we we're still contact each other on, on LinkedIn, I think it is. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I met him, I probably, I don't remember the actual incident, but I, I probably met him at the China Club. Now, uh, I remember... The thing i remember most about john Waite, a good friend of mine earl slick and carmine rojas were in his band when missing you was starting to take off right and somehow we john Waite and i shared a cab together going downtown to some club and it was right about a month or two after i got cindy lauper's gig when when girls just want to have fun was just released nobody Nobody knew who who Cindy Lauper was outside of New York City, and riding down in a taxi cab, John Wade says to me, "Hey man, you want to join my band? I have a hit single out. You want to join my band?" And and I kind of thought about it for a second. I go, "You know, John, I already committed to this singer named Cindy Lauper, and she's got a single out too, and I really yeah. like it. Like it. I love the band. I think I'm going to stay with it and give it a shot." And that that's that's. The rest is history.
0: That's crazy. But you stayed friends, I assume. We stayed
1: friends. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I forget who I was. I I was with Travers. The first time I was with the Pat Travers band was 81, 80, 81, 82. And then I went back with him in 2010 up until 2016. And around 2014, 2015, John Waite opened or we opened for them for the John Waite band or John Waite open for Travis. I don't remember. It was a gig in Florida Uh huh. and we stood backstage and, and, and reminisced and stuff about the old days.
0: <laughs> you know, I just realized as a matter of fact that the reason I met John only virtually so far was because of you, because I saw you guys having a conversation on LinkedIn and I said, wait a minute, Sandy, John, and I reached out to both of you privately and John ended up, he's done my show a couple of times and um, just, I bought some of his art. Um, right. He's amazing.
1: Yeah. I see some of that stuff on LinkedIn. He does like self portraits and stuff.
0: He did a guitar and and right. he did one for Snuffy and it's real. he's a wonderful artist, but so did you guys ever get to play together? Did you ever sit?
1: Um. I'm not I I never played in his band officially.
0: Right, right.
1: But uh, I'm not really sure one of those hazy nights at the China Club, he might (laughs) have hopped up, you know, he might have been part of part of the part of whatever was going on there. But I don't remember particularly jam even jamming with John.
0: You know, I did a jam at the China Club for a while too, and I haven't found those pictures yet, but I'm sure I have them of you doing my jam there. Man, and no
1: that stack is without the China Club included. That
0: stack is with that stack <laughs> is the rock and roll cafe, Spodiotis, Woody's, True Blue, Cafe Wa, Um, the Marquee. I mean Wow. Yeah. It's it was a lot of places. It was a, a lot of rock and roll.
1: That was an that was an era that that I'm so grateful to have been a part of. <laughs> excuse me one second for absolutely
0: you. yes yes get something to drink go ahead i'm so upset that we're not on um that we're not on all these other platforms right now i'm gonna give restream a piece of my mind
1: that's all right you put it put it put it as a pre-record well,
0: yeah uh yes i will but it just upsets me because we should be live on all of those uh places. i know so i'm, I'm just writing happen. it i'm writing it up right now on facebook uh so people find us okay um so sandy what's your what, what's your day like now like what's okay i know you have this whole speaking engagement thing and you have a book and we're going to talk about all of that but what's your playing life like it, it is it still pandemic is it post pandemic
1: it's definitely post pandemic i mean i live in nashville tennessee mm-hmm for, since 2014, excuse me, and everything is wide open, you know, everything is, Oh, everything is basically back to normal, you still see some people wear a mask at the airport or whatever, like randomly, it's not, there's no mandate anymore, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to Canada on Friday, and they just lifted the, the mask mandate, you don't need to have a, you used to have to have a, uh, a proof of uh, vaccination, blah, 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 you don't need that anymore, so my playing life now is i still teach this is my little my studio here where my couple. oh of,
0: wow oh that's fabulous
1: yeah two drum sets face to face so i still teach here not as often as i did in the, in the you know in manhattan at the collective um so i maybe have a couple of students a week or whatever so i do that and i play in a, in a cover band a 70s and 80s hits cover band named rock united and um, and that, that keeps me busy playing wise I do a random session here and there, but I'm mostly involved with speaking and maintaining that business and the preparation for and the follow-up of different meetings, contacting people as a follow-up and then writing contracts for upcoming speaking gigs, agreements. And now, since the book has been released, I've been doing a lot of marketing with, in regard to the book. Thank you, Vicky.
0: Absolutely. We'll talk about it. Okay. And also you can get signed drumsticks. If you go, mine are personally signed to me. You can get those. If you go to San, sandygenero.com you can order some signed drumsticks and a signed book. Uh, um, so Sandy, I wanted to talk to you. This is what I really want to talk to you about today. Because we talked a lot about the rock and roll. Although before we move into how you changed your life. <laughs> Here we, we go. T- now we talked about John. We didn't talk about Barry Give though. We didn't talk about, about the, the Bee Gees, about Robin Gibb, actually. Wait, which Gibb did...
1: It's, I did a uh, Robin Gibb solo record, which was produced by Maurice Gibb and Tom Dowd
0: mm.
1: at the Bee Gees studio in North Miami. It was used to be called Middle Ear Studios. And because prior to that, I did a record with Tom Dowd, Bless His Heart. I love that man. Uh, he's uh, in the Producer Hall of Fame or whatever. I did a blackjack record with him which had Michael Bolton in it, Bruce Kulick, and Jimmy Haslip. That was my first pro record. Signed for a major label. Tom Dowd produced it at Criteria Studios. Uh, Maybe five years later, he called me and says, hey, man, you want to do Robin Gibbs' solo record? I said, sign me up. (laughs) So I flew down to, um, to Miami, and Phil Chen was the bass player. Mitchell Fromm was the keyboard player who went on to be kind of a noted producer himself and uh steve ferris from a band from the 80s called mr mr oh yeah I remember so rob robin before. robin and robin and maurice were in the studio and tom dowd were in the studio all the time and then every once in a while barry would would you know come in with a big fat hash joint <laughs> <laughs> and um but yeah so that was really really good Re- really a good experience doing that and the, Robin Gibb is a sweet the BGs overall I didn't get to know Barry very well aside from the fact that he he carried around really good product around
0: <laughs> but um, I bet. um but
1: Robin and uh, Maurice were really really nice down-to-earth people very friendly they made the whole band feel uh welcome and you know, the hospitality was off the charts. Well, was- what
0: year was this, Sandy? Was this when the that Bee Gees 1980- were riding high?
1: I think it was 1985.
0: Oh, so the Bee Gees were hotter than hot
1: then. Yeah, they were all, They were still all alive. I have, well, I got, let me see. Yeah, yeah,
0: can- show it. Because this is when, after us, uh, uh, this is after Saturday Night Fever, who, by the way, I went out to lunch with Donna <coughs> Pascal last week. Donna was uh, the girl in Saturday Night Fever who danced with John Travolta.
1: Ah, <laughs> awesome. Awesome, yeah. right.
0: So that's this was, that was in the in the late 70s. So the Bee Gees were like crazy hot when you were playing yeah. with Robin.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know if you could see it. It's, I I can't move my whole thing because I'm plugged into the light and everything. I see
0: Prince. Okay. Wait, right, there,
1: right at the top. Yeah. The blackjack record. The second one from the top.
0: Okay. That's there's Robin. A there's that's a Robin. light glaring. So yeah, I can't really.
1: It's the one to the left of that.
0: Okay. Wait, that's not in the, in view.
1: Oh, it's not. Okay.
0: Oh, there. Ooh. Oh, wait there.
1: Yeah. Right oh, there. I it's see.
0: There. I see. I see. I see.
1: Right to the left. That's Robin Gibbs record.
0: Uh-huh. Oh,
1: and it was called walls have eyes.
0: Wow. I'm going to have to, uh, is it, uh, is it streaming? Do you know?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think, I think, uh, I think you can Google it. It'll come up. Some info would come up, but, I'm not really too sure about the stream, I, you know, where you can. I'm sure you can get something on YouTube. They got everything on YouTube.
0: They do have everything on YouTube. And, you know, so seeing you play with going through my photos and finding you with Ricky Bird. OK, you and Ricky go back to Joan Jet. Then seeing you play with John Paris. You also played with Johnny Winter for a while. Did you play with yeah. Johnny?
1: Yeah, I did. I played with him um, in the early 90s mostly around manhattan you know we rehearsed at sir on 52nd street we did some gigs in club benet i think a, a place called club benet in jersey it was like a dinner theater thing but wow. i played for about two and a half years and um and then things started going a little sour with his old manager and whatever so things on the business end got a little fugazy. <laughs> so i ended up leaving and then and then after i left and and Johnny actually turned a new leaf. He found a new manager, and the manager straightened them out uh, financially, straightened them out as far as health goes. And uh, uh-huh. I think his name was Paul. And I'm I'm, I'm embarrassed. I forgot his last name. But anyway, so Johnny was on the top of the world. He he cleaned up from all the you know the, all the shit that he was doing and all the maintenance programs and all mm. that he was doing. And he was, you know, his merch was selling. He was doing a new record, and he and then it's like Stevie Ray Vaughan when he cleans up and sees the light, and and his life turns around. Then that's when he. You know, that's when Stevie, Stevie Ray Vaughan died in the plane crash. He was all—he's straight. And the same thing happened with Johnny. It seems like when he got all straightened out and he was starting to make money again and be healthy, that's when the Lord took him. I'll figure.
0: So you, so you were playing with Johnny. I mean, I've I saw John Paris play with Johnny a, a couple of times. He he was his bassist, even though John yes. was a great lead guitar player. Yeah. Um. So you, so you were. So I was wondering because Dan Hickey was always playing drums with Amy and John when they played my clubs. But right. then I found all these pictures of you playing with John and Amy. Yeah, it's I like, played with God? John.
1: And, I played with John and Amy all over Manhattan, especially uh in the it, at bb king's on 42nd street yes uh lucille's the bar right that, as we played every monday it was uh it, we had like a residency there it was uh it was blues night at lucille's and me john and amy played and we used to invite people coming down and it was a big you know john would call people up and john was the one responsible john paris was the one responsible for getting me or introducing me to margot lewis who was Bo Diddley's manager and keyboard player, and Deb Hastings, who was Bo Diddley's musical director and bass player? There was a gig um, after John Paris, uh, after John, uh, Johnny Winner, John Paris went and played second guitar with Bo Diddley.
0: Oh, I don't even. And, remember. Yes, I do kind of remember that. Yeah, actually. And, and
1: there was a there was a drummer. It was there was a drummer named Yoshi, and he had to go back. I
0: have pictures of Yoshi. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, Yoshi, John said, listen, Sandy, called me and he said, I don't think Yoshi's going to be with the band very much longer. He has some family issues in Japan or something, so he had to go back there to deal with that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: There's a gig tomorrow night at the New China Club. I, I didn't really like the New China Club. I never
0: Club. went to the new one. I never saw I went saw. there
1: once or twice. He said, there's a big jam session there. Margot was going to be there and, and Deb you know, uh, Bo's bass player and manager and keyboard player, he says, I'll arrange, you know, it's going to be a sit-in situation, so it'll be a good opportunity for you to sit in, we'll play a shuffle. So he kind of engineered wow. that. You know? And then I ended up playing with Margo and Debbie, and then the next thing I knew, I got a call, hey, you want to play with Bo Diddley? So that, that was the start of my, um, my gig with Bo Diddley was the last five years of his life. It was like, wow. the, it was really, I played Bo Diddley's last show. It was oh. just... It was just magical. It was, it was really good.
0: Oh, wow. How, how was he as a human being to play with?
1: He was well to play with, he was awesome. You know, my, my memory, my memory of that first gig, it was uh, the house of blues in New Orleans, sold out. And when, when Deb, the musical director and bass player, um, called me and said, you want to do the gig? I said, sure. Uh, I said, do you have any tapes or a CD? He goes, she said, No, you don't need any of that. I said, Well, do you do you have a set list of what he, Bo likes to play? Right. Do a little re- Oh, you don't need any of that. <laughs> she, said, she said, sometimes Bo doesn't play the same song in the same key one night after the
0: other. So I gotta
1: look at the neck and then look over to the band and go, hey, hey, hey,
0: hey. give the key to the
1: band. Just watch his foot. The foot will give you the tempo, and then he'll start the song, and it'll give you what the song is, and just follow along. You'll be fine. So there I was, five minutes, five, ten minutes before. We had a quick line check. We didn't even have a proper sound check. Wow. Bo wasn't at the sound check. But five, ten minutes before the gig, Deb Deb comes over to me, and I'm I'm kind of... I'm kind of a little nervous because I have no idea what's coming, <laughs> and I have to be the drummer. I have to drive that car, but I have no idea what kind of car I'm going to get to drive.
0: Oh my gosh! So,
1: so, but so Deb says, "Hey uh, Sandy, did you, did you ever meet? Did you meet Bo yet?" I said, "No." He goes, "She said, go down. It's he's right next to the stage in a chair. Go, go, introduce yourself." So I introduce myself to Bo. He goes, "We're going to rock tonight, brother. You're going to rock tonight. What's your name?" I go, "Sandy." He goes, "We're going to rock tonight." He goes. You know, you look like Red. You look like, I'm going to, do you mind if I call you Red? I said, no, you call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for sound checks. It was really good. My, my Yeah, he was just a wonderful, you know, the value that I get, uh, that I got from Bo Diddley's gig is, yes, the playing and playing with a Hall of Famer. And, um, but the value was hearing his stories, waiting for a flight at the gate and hearing some stories about him, partying with ray charles and oh. him him and, and uh and bb king making barbecue you know the oh. like the little the, the stories that people don't usually hear uh, some of them i can't repeat in the public forum but, <laughs> but he was he was just he was just awesome he, bo was just awesome and do you
0: know I, if they ever did bo ever like did they ever document these stories of his or, or are they going down with you
1: uh, well, I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only one on the planet that knows these stories. Right. They were relayed to me in, 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 just between me and him. And I don't know, I, I, I don't think there would have been, I haven't read everything written about Bo Diddley, you know, but I don't think, I don't think that so, at least some of these stories, I don't think went anywhere else because, because of the nature of the triple wow. X.
0: Was it that way? How was it, how was it playing with Johnny, with Johnny winter? what What was his mindset like in those days? Um,
1: well, towards the end of my tenure with him, he was still basically on a program. Um, he sat down a lot of times when he played. on stage, he would he would stand up, but he was very fragile and very frail, but very, very nice guy. Um, unfortunately, he was in a, a kind of a foggy state. And I don't want to mention any names, but the, some of the people that were involved with him on a manage, management level uh, kind of took advantage of the fact that he wasn't really attentive to what was going on ah. in, a, in a business way. But then that those those people kind of that's when I kind of left because things now well you got to share rooms well you know what I can't really share rooms. So things got a little fagazi business wise. Without going yeah. into detail, the manager, the manager passed away, which led the door, but opened the door to this guy Paul, who right. ended, who ended up straightening Johnny out, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. I got out and actually, you know, decreased his medication little by little by little by little by little without Johnny knowing it. And then all of a sudden, Johnny was just drinking orange juice for like a month or two, still thinking that he was getting a little bit of medication. And uh, Paul broke. This is the story. Paul told me, Mm -hmm. Uh, he said, and then I told Johnny, I said, Johnny Winter. I said, Johnny, you've been straight. You've been drug free for about a month now. And Johnny ended up bursting out in tears, crying. Crying oh, tears wow. of happiness. Wow. So that was like a new... It was like a rebirth to Johnny. And I'm so sorry. I can't think of Paul's last name. Because um, he did a lot of good things for Johnny Winter and, and brought him back to life, basically. And uh, recorded some new records and put a band together. He played... I think he played a second guitar behind Johnny. Um, Paul did. And... Um, Yeah, as I said, you know, the merch was, he's starting to do big gigs again and, you know, healthy, healthy. And then he ended up uh, passing away. So, but he had a few good healthy years, I think, um, uh, before he passed away. But he was really a nice guy. I remember when when we were rehearsing one time at SIR on 52nd Street, my wife, we lived on 57th Street. So my Mm -hmm. wife and I had just had maybe three or four months uh, our new baby so our, our kid was like three or four months old this was how i remember it was like 1994 so it was early 90s that i played with him and she brought our daughter jerry to the and johnny johnny held her and i'm, I'm kind of a little bit nervous because he is a little frail but he he held her and the way he looks at his watch he, johnny what time is it he, he would go so he was a little sight challenged of his albino, you know. Right,
0: right.
1: So he he held my daughter Jerry, and he looked in her face like this close. Oh, she's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this close away
0: Oh. Yeah, he,
1: he was he was a sweetheart. He he uh. And I mentioned to him I, the fact that I saw him at the Fillmore East when. Brown-
0: we were at the same show. I think we. 1971. I th- it was Rick Derringer. It was Edgar. It was Johnny. Were you at that show?
1: At the no, floor? you know what? You know, when I was there, Vicki, I was there the night. In between shows at the Fillmore, Bill Graham used to come out and and say who's next week and the coming attraction right. as they were doing the set change. Right. This night came, He introduce He goes, I want to introduce you to, to this young hotshot guitar player from Beaumont, Texas, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Winter. And he comes out. He didn't play or anything, not that I remember. But he just brought him out to introduce him. Now I'm not sure if he ended up playing. I don't remember. But I remember uh, Bill Graham introducing Johnny, and Johnny coming out in the long blonde hair that you know. That the, had to
0: be really early because I think it was seventy one when I saw. It was supposed to be Edgar Winter's right white trash, but Johnny played also, and 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 Derringer was it, it was forget about it. It was yeah cool. that first
1: album Johnny Winter and was uh, was just an awesome. That was with Rick and Rick and yeah. uh, I think uh, I forget what the bass Tommy Shannon, the bass player. But Johnny ended up telling me, he goes, Sandy, you know what? The, one of the reasons why I got into all those drugs in the 70s was the fact that I, I'm a blues man. He looked at me and went, Sandy, I'm a blues man. And and Steve Paul, his manager at the time. Oh,
0: is, As Tony just said, is it Steve Paul? Is that who you were talking about?
1: No, Steve Paul oh. was Johnny's original manager. That
0: was the no good guy. Okay. No, no,
1: no, 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 oh, no, 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 The no good guy came after. Okay. I can, I can mention his name because he's not with us anymore. His name was Teddy Slatus. Okay. All right. But before Teddy Slatus was Steve Paul. And okay. Steve Paul had a club on St. Mark's uh, below the electric circus called Steve Paul Scene
0: oh my god jerry didn't jerry brandt start the electric circus that was his i think
1: i I think i'm not sure about that but i I remember the electric circus was upstairs right steve paul scene and steve paul managed johnny winter and uh and steve paul wanted johnny winter to play rock and roll and johnny didn't want to play rock and roll he Mm. wanted to play blues Mm. and he goes man sandy that was one of the reasons i did all those drugs man to play that rock play that rock and roll Man, it's, you're digging up a lot of memories here, Vicky. You, well,
0: all right. So I, I want to dig up some more. So, so, okay. So that was those guys. So what was it like? So Cindy, you were playing with Cindy Lauper. For those not in the know, when she was before anybody knew who she was, and you were with her when she broke and broke huge. Did she change? What What was Cindy like on the like? In Cindy the- was
1: awesome. You know, the thing I remember about Cindy, I mean, everybody, people ask me, what was your favorite gig? And every gig that I did was, was my favorite for a different reason. Right. Cindy was my favorite because I was with her when nobody really knew who she was outside of New York City. If right. you didn't know who Blue Angel was, which was her first band. Right. You didn't, And it was on Polygram, the same label as Benny Mardonis and Travers and whatever. So I, I kind of knew about Blue Angel <laughs> and, um... But um, that's what I like about, because I I joined her band when nobody knew who she was, and then five or six months later, she was selling five, six million records. So the upward climb was like 45 degrees. It was just awesome. And um, I remember the big turning point. uh, I joined the band in like the fall of 83, and New Year's, we we went on the road in a Winnebago trying to break. Girls just want to have fun. I remember we did a New Year's Eve 83 into 84 uh, at Roseland, we played about at nine o'clock at night, opening for the Kinks, oh. and and it was it was horrible. The Kinks audience didn't, were, the,
0: were the were the Kinks were, were Ray with and Dave were they fighting?
1: Uh, I don't know what they oh, were yeah. fighting. They were fighting. We, we we had to, as soon as we left, as soon as we finished that gig, the opening act for the Kinks, we had to leave because we went to the Savoy Theater and and played the MTV New Year's Eve ball, 83 into 84. And Cindy and the band, I got to say, we killed it. So after the show, Dave Wolf, the Matt, Cindy's manager, said, "Hey, we're going to continue our little Winnebago tour. Like January 5th, we're going to go back on the road and try to break. Girls just want to have fun. Still, right. it was starting to get a little airplay. That's why. Uh, and the video was out on MTV. That's why. That's what created the excitement that MTV wanted us for that live gig. Right. So January, we were supposed to go back on the road January 5th, like the day after New Year's Day, like January 2nd. I get a call. We, the band gets a call from David Wolf. Hey, we're going to L.A. What?" Uh, well, b- based on that performance on MTV, NBC wants us for The Tonight Show, uh, Carson with Carson, um, uh, American Bandstand with Dick Clark wants us, Solid Gold, The TV show to, to tape re- pre-recorded, sure. wants us, and HBO is going to do a special. So we flew to L.A., and we were on Carson, and, uh, and that appearance on Carson, that was— I-
0: I posted, by the way, your your name that to tu- your, your name that. Oh, tu- the Stump the Band. The <laughs> Stump the Band. I posted that last time when you did the show. Yeah, it was great. That was classic.
1: Well, that was even before anything. Oh, yeah. So now okay. fast forward when Cindy's on Carson, we're backstage and Carson's in the green room. And I said, hey, Johnny, do you remember me being on Stump the Band in 1976? Mm-hmm. He goes, no, we've had a lot of people on Stump the Band. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> He goes what song did you sing and i said jesus of your love it's a song that i wrote he goes did you give the did you give the you were the one that gave the band the chords to that song and i said yeah he goes man nobody's ever done that of course i remember that song.
0: That's out. that was a
1: pleasure hanging with him because i was a huge fan of his
0: yeah huge yeah, fan yeah. so now cindy was she so you're with her when she's when nobody knows who she is except the people in new york who adored her the blue angel and then all of a sudden she breaks huge, and you're with her through that. It had to be exciting and also hard on her. How did it? How did did she change?
1: No, um, well, I I, I don't want to say she changed, but when she is such a visionary and has mm-hmm. she she has uh, she has uh, exactly what she wants the performance to be, not mm-hmm. only the songs but what the band looked like, what we wore, what the stage looked like, the asymmetrical. She was not into symmetry. So uh-huh. the risers the were off center. Uh, instead Interesting. Of the drums, yeah, instead of the drums being in center, I was staged left and the keyboard was staged right. Huh. And he had the whole center of the stage. And the bass player was in front of me. John McCurry, the guitar player, was in front of her. Uh, the keyboard. So, and even the ramps that go out from the stage into the arena, they weren't even. One was cricket, (laughs) one, yeah. So, she had a vision, the way the stage was uh, uh, splash painted, like she had, we had this covering that we, we took on the road with us that it was like a big rubberized carpet that was splash painted at the bottom. So, but as, as the, you know, she was able to control and have control and monitor all the aspects of the gig when it was a Winnebago gig, right. you know, when we were playing clubs or whatever. But as the gig got bigger and we played arenas and now it's from a Winnebago, we went to a bus, went to three buses, four bus, then the semis and the PA, it was, <laughs> it was a lot, you know, now she had to hire an LD instead of using the club's lighting director ld front of house sound monitor and all of that she had i don't want to say she had a difficult time uh delegating but she she had to get used to the idea that she had to relinquish some of the monitoring of all of those things like the lights you know a certain light had to shine on her and a certain song or uh uh-huh. you know so she had to I guess maybe it affected her in a kind of a stressful way as the gig got bigger because she had to learn to delegate. You hire an LD, let him do the lighting directing. You, you you know you can sign off on it, but once you sign off on it, let him do his thing. Same with the monitors, same with the front of house sound. And I I used a hybrid electronic drum set with acoustic drums, so you know she had to go in the house and at sound check and make sure the acoustic drums sounded uh, sounded good to her in that right acoustic, acoustic environment. And you know uh, as anybody that plays music knows if you go from like a, a civic center to a theater, the sound acoustics changed. Now you have padded seats with the curtains and the velvet in the theater where last night you had cement cinder block walls and a cement floor. Right. The sound is totally different. Even right. though the program and everything on my electronic drums is the same as the night before, it sounds different. So she would say, Sandy, you changed it. You changed it from- <laughs> You changed no, Cindy. It's the same. They're all marked.
0: All no, no.
1: You changed it. It sounds different. So she had to learn about the acoustic differences of venues and whatever. So it was a learning curve for for basically. I did I did arenas before Cindy, so that wasn't new to me. But to Cindy, it was. So right. she had to get back. But once she got acclimated, I'll tell you what. She's just a joy to work with. I'll tell you what. She's her and Joni and Bo and. You know, let's all the- talk,
0: okay. So let's talk about Joan. So, so, okay. So, but on, on the bus, on the plane or whatever, when you try, is, is Cindy fun? Because I know she's very controlling and she's a perfectionist and she wants things to be, that's why she's so great. Is she able to let that go? I mean, I knew her, our kids applied for the same preschool. Like I met Cindy across a preschool table a million years ago. Right. But, so when you're, when you're, not playing and the mask is off is she just one of the guys is she fun is she she's uh
1: she's she's fun she's uh and you know what speaking of mask one of the one of the one of the i have pictures pictures of this too i'm not sure if i i I want to show them publicly but she used to wear this groucho you know the groucho marks eyes and the mustache and the nose (laughs) used to put that on come out of the bathroom of the bus with that on she she was cool man i i don't i don't have any kind of negative memory of of she was always and we always were on the same bus it's not like she had a separate one right we traveled together with david wolf and whatever every once in a while her and david used to take a car and go to the next gig in a rental but for the most part she traveled with the band um and same with Joan, man. Same with Joan. She always traveled with the band.
0: And and what was so Joan, was she a relaxed person off stage? Was she what was her persona like?
1: She her persona was she was a she was a effing rocker. She was an <laughs> effing rocker. She loved to play loud. She loved she loved going, I remember the Far East tour that we did. She loved to go sightseeing with the band and taking pictures in a temple. I have a ton of pictures of us in, like doing doing everyday stuff, you know? And she would, would she do, get
0: recognized and bothered out in the world?
1: Um, not, um, well, I'll tell you what, when we got off the plane in the Far East, I, I think it was in, uh, I guess it was Tokyo, there was like a whole reception you know, it was like the Beatles arriving. It was like, you know, they had barricades with all the fans waving for autographs. All about Joan, not about not necessarily about the band. But so that, and then there was a news conference. But going out in public, I don't remember her being hassled. And and you know what? If someone came up to her, she would always oblige and sign. She would. Nice. She's not one of these people that went. No, I'm, I'm eating. No, <laughs> she would always. She would always, uh, you know, sign and. And I remember after gigs, she would sit on the in the in the catbird seat of the bus with the door open and the drivers next to her, and I would be sitting in the in the center there on a step. And she would just sign every order. There would be a line, and she wouldn't let the bus leave until all the autographs were signed. Everybody. Oh,
0: I love that about her.
1: You know, it's like the people, the artists that were successful Vicky, they treat their people with respect. You know, they treat their fans with respect and the realization that the fans are the ones that keep the lights on in their in their house, you know? It's like, you know, you, you I always I found that puzzling with some artists um treat their treat their fans like crap or no, not now I'm eating. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, granted some fans could be over the top like like you know, touchy feely or whatever. Right, right. Um, but for the most part, man, the the artists that I work for that are in the Hall of Fame always treated their bands with respect, their fans with respect, and that's why they're in the Hall of Fame. That's why they keep bands for a long time. There's artists that I work for that will remain nameless at this point in a public forum, but they can't keep a band because they don't they don't respect they don't respect the musicianship. They you know musicians are a dime a dozen, and I've been told that. in in a meeting with this one artist, you know, wear wear long sleeves. Nobody wants to see your tattoos, Sandy. I go, well, I'm a drummer, and I need to, I need to, I sweat a lot, and I'm more comfortable. Well, you know what, Sandy, drummers are a dime a dozen. If you don't want this gig, there's 50 people that want this gig. Wow. So, no choice. So, as soon as somebody offers me a dollar more, I'm out of there. And then you hear the artist going, how come I can't keep a band? How come these musicians are so fickle? Well, it's because you don't respect them. End of story.
0: Sandy, can you tell that story again about what happened backstage and what changed your life and got you the Cindy gig? Um, speaking of fans and respecting the fans, because even though you did talk, tell it to us a couple months ago, I think it bears repeating.
1: Okay, I, I was, uh, I, as I mentioned before, I was with the Pat Travers Band in 1980, 80, 81, 82, and it was some some point in time, like I think in the spring of 81 or early 82, uh, we played a place in Connecticut called the uh, Hartford Civic Center, I think it was, and it was a real hot gig. We're all in a dressing room. Uh, and in a big hurry to get out of the dressing room and get on the bus because we had a long overnight drive. Our old manager was going, come on, hurry up. I was always the last one out, being that I sweat down in my underwear and whatever. And I'm, I'm the only one in the dressing room rushing around getting my stuff, and there's this guy standing in the doorway with a pen and a camera. And I, I had a couple of choices. I could have blew by him like an ag- arrogant rock star in a hurry, legitimately blew by him. I'm in a hurry. And, or said sorry buddy I'm in a hurry I gotta go and just left but I said you know what he's there to see the drummer he's there to see me the artist is on the bus already and I remember telling walking around my the mall with my mother at 15 years old dressed up like uh, like Keith Richards uh, mm-hmm. with the hair and the and the the, the the shirt pulled up around his belly button <laughs> and the, and the, and the, and my mother used to go, I understand the hair, Sandy, and I understand the, the clothes, but why do you carry a pen all the time? And I said, well, Ma, in case anybody asks for my autograph. <laughs> so it was like I always had a fond, <laughs> like an amusing thought of that people value somebody, somebody else putting their name on a piece of paper. So I said, man, the guy wants an autograph. I see him with a, a Sharpie or whatever. So I went over to engage him. I said, listen, buddy, I'm in a real hurry but what can I do for you? And he says, man, I love the way you play. You sound great, man. Can you sign this for me? I said, sure. He goes, I I said, what's your name? He goes, Dave. So I signed. Okay, okay, Dave, I got to go. He said, no, no, no. Could you take a picture? I said, sure. He pulls out the Instamatic camera with the flash cube on the top. And he takes a picture. And I said, All right, Dave, you got the picture in the autograph. I got to go. My road manager's yelling over there. I got to go. He said, No, no, one more thing, Sandy. He goes, I'm a bass player in Connecticut. Here in Connecticut, would you mind getting me a gig in New York City? I said, Well, Dave, I can't really recommend you unless I hear you play. So I'll tell you what, here's my card. It's got my address on it, my home address, my home number. Send me a cassette again. It's 1981, 82. Send me a cassette of your plane, and I'll be happy to, to see what I can do. So he said, "I couldn't believe, I can't believe you're giving me your home number and your home address." I said, "No big deal, Dave. Just go ahead and send me a cassette. I got to go. I'm in a hurry. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get lambasted by my road manager." So he gives me a big hug. Thank you, Sandy. You're so kind. I left. Uh, I got off the road from that leg of the tour. I. I um, Got the, got the cassette in the mail. It wasn't really that good with Dave's playing. I, I kept my promise and, and he sent it to a couple of managers. I knew nothing really happened. But three years later, he called me and he said, Hey, Sandy, listen. Do you remember me, Dave, from Connecticut? You you gave me your call. Yeah, yeah, Dave, how you doing? He goes, I'm managing this girl now. She's going to be the biggest thing in 1984. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I want you to be the drummer in a band. And we're doing our first record right now. Come down and meet her. I said, you know what, Dave? I can't join a baby band. I, you want me to go back into a Winnebago again? No, no, I can't. And share rooms again? I can't. He goes, no, Sandy, listen, you may have to do that at the beginning, but I'll take care of you because this is a no-miss situation. It's going to be Big, it's going to be. So I went down to the studio and met her. It was Cindy Lauper, and based on some of the songs, the rough mixes that she was uh, playing for me. I, I went ahead and um, and joined her band and then went on the road in the Winnebago and tried to break the girls. Just want to have fun. The video was out on MTV, blah, blah, blah. November of that, that was... Uh, I joined her band in October of 83. We did that MTV ball on New Year's Eve 83 into 84. Went on the road all of 84. In November of 84, we played the Charlotte Coliseum in Charlotte, North Carolina. And backstage... There was this woman that was drop-dead gorgeous and uh, she wasn't even in line because i tell this story in my presentation where it's like the karma the god energy the universe not only inspires you to do the right thing or to go meet the right people or to with ideas but it inspires other people to come into your path to take you where you want to go and you can take them where they want to go this is the way the universe works so the girl the drop dead gorgeous girl was in the green room sitting in the corner while the band after the show the band and cindy was signing autographs and she wasn't coming over i found out later that the girl her name was sherry the drop dead gorgeous girl was there as a service to her girlfriend because her girlfriend was the girlfriend of the promoter of that show at the charlotte coliseum so the girlfriend asked sherry that afternoon why don't you (laughs) Why don't you come? She, oh, I'm not even a big fan of Cindy Lauper. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But as a favor to her girlfriend, Sherry ended up coming to the show. She hardly seen any of the show. She was backstage with her girlfriend the whole the whole gig. And then there she was in the green room, and we, as we we're signing autographs. So after we got done signing autographs, I went over and I introduced myself. It was, they were sitting at a ten top table with two only two seats occupied. And I went over and I said, "Excuse me, is anybody sitting here?" And she said well there is now and i said oh cool so i sat down and uh we had a conversation i inspired i invited her to the next gig the next night at um the fox theater in atlanta she came we had a really we had more time to get acquainted we started seeing each other long distance because i went on back on the road she went back to charlotte whatever and then almost a year from the from the night i met her um, she came and I said, you know what, Sherry? I said, this is getting more difficult bringing you to the airport. Why don't you ask your parents if you can move up to New York with me and we can live together, start a life together. God bless you.
0: Thank you. I'm having an allergy attack. I'm I'm, I'm having, I'm having
1: it. I'm having it too. But anyway, so, uh, so she said, I don't know. She was 20 years old at the time. So,
0: wow. Okay. How old are you?
1: I was 30. Thirty-three. I was okay. thirteen years. I'm thirteen years old than her. So she goes, oh, I don't know. My 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 parents are very Southern parents, and now you're, I'm going to be asking them as a as a twenty-year-old to move to New York City. She's she lives on a, a ranch or farm, twelve acres outside of Charlotte. And she's now I'm asking her to come to New York City in the middle of Manhattan with a thirty-three-year-old rock drummer.
0: Oh my, long
1: God. hair, long hair, earrings, and tattoos." <laughs> But luckily her parents signed off on it. She came up. They did? Yeah, they did because she came up, we started living together. That was in 85, November of 85. We got married, we lived together five years, got married in 1990, had our daughter, Jerry, in 1994, and we're still together 38 years later.
0: Okay, I wanted to to talk to you about this, Sandy. This is, uh, congratulations. It's extraordinary, and in rock and roll, that's like 150 years. I mean, Absolutely.
1: But you know what? It's all from the, the moral of the story, Vicki. It's a great story about how the universe puts people together. But you have to think right and you have to treat people right with respect. Everybody deserves an equal amount of respect because we all have a little soul inside of us. And that's, that's the commonality of all human beings. And that's that's we're going to be judged by the way we made people feel when they crossed our path. That's the, what I believe. Everything. I totally made, agree with you. So so, but the bottom line is is that I obliged this guy Dave in the doorway of that Hartford Civic Center five minutes, and it changed my life. Not only led to one of the biggest gigs of my life, being part of the Cindy Lauper thing at the beginning. Right. Um, but I met the woman who's my soulmate. She's upstairs right now. Thirty-eight years later. Have
0: so, a- Sandy, I wanted to ask you about this because you go on the road. You were out on the road a lot of your your years together. How do you keep this marriage together? I mean, it has. It, were there challenges for you guys, or was it just smooth sailing all the time?
1: Um, I'll tell you what. It was smooth sailing. in in ways that people think it wouldn't be smooth sailing. In other words, there's two people involved in a relationship, Mm -hmm. and there's got to be a mutual trust. There's got to be a mutual trust, and there can't be any unfound suspicion because when there's unfound suspicion, that's when there's problems happening. But if both people are trustworthy, and I'll trust Sherry, Till the day I die, I have no qualms. I, 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 tr- I tr- She's the most trustworthy person on this planet that I know. And I was always trustworthy. She, you know, she she wasn't one of these people that would call, this is before cell phones, right. would, would call my hotel room, the landline. And if I wasn't there at midnight, she wouldn't automatically think that I'm out somewhere screwing a groupie or something. Oh, well, he's probably in the bar. You know, whatever. Um, That's very much unlike my first wife, my practice wife. If she called my my room, my practice wife, no kids, thank, thank, thank God, no kids. But she would call my room at twelve midnight and say, and assume that I'm I'm in bed with somebody if I didn't answer the phone. But not only did she assume that, she was so insecure in herself that she didn't have a lot she didn't feel good about herself as a person. She didn't value herself as a person and didn't think I valued her as a person. So Mm -hmm. therefore I was I was out screwing around. Not only did she think I was screwing around, but she went she hung up the phone going, Okay, well if he's gonna do it, I'm gonna go take a shower and go out. And she would go to places like tracks people you know rock and roll cafe people places in manhattan that i know everybody
0: right and i would
1: get calls from doormen at tracks going or the bartender at tracks going hey sand are you still married to that so-and-so that girl uh yeah well as far as far as i know she said, well yeah. i saw her. i saw her come in the tracks the other night with hand in hand with a guitar player Brown curly hair. So anyway, she would go out. So that that was a very toxic situation where I would be in the bar with my buddy having a beer where she assumed that I was doing something else and acted upon it. Mm-hmm. That's the negative part. Sherry upstairs never, never was that. There was never, ever second-guessing 20, 20 questions. Where were you last night? What'd you do? Did you meet anybody? All that. You know, I hear bandmates talking about their significant other's Putting them through the 20 questions thing every time they call on, when they're on the road. It was horrible. Listen, she moved up in November of 85, my wife did, from Charlotte, North Carolina. March of 86, I, I go to Europe to start a, a, a European tour with Queen. I was, I was uh, at, at the opening act for Queen in a band called Craft. And this is before cell phones. So I went on the road for five months in Europe... Being able to call my wife, who's now in an apartment by herself,
0: and and she's young, right? She's just a kid. She's
1: 21 years old, and 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 she's in an apartment. She, she had a gig at the Hard Rack Cafe. Luckily, that when it was on 57th Street, so that was right. that was walking distance. We lived Sixth Avenue. The Hard Rack was between Seventh Seventh and Broadway. So, but she was in a doorman building, so I knew she was safe as far as living. But right. uh, she was by herself. And I said to my, I'm on the plane over to Europe. I go well it's going to be another four months till i see sherry again um she's either going to be there or not when i get back wow and she was there she was there and i spoke to her you know from the lobby phone like you know for five minutes like once a week and it would always be an amorous conversation it wouldn't be well you know a million questions it would be and i went home and I remember walking in the door after four or five months, and there she was, and the candle lit, and you know, the nice dinner on the table, and the bouquet of roses. It was just, she's a special person. She's a one-of-a-kind person, and, and uh, we're together. Sandy,
0: this is really an important, this is a very important conversation, more so than you realize. Like, I can't tell you how many I go to meetings and a lot of this stuff comes up. Actually, today is my anniversary in the people, places and things program. If you know what that is, it's, it's not, it's an AA program, but it's not a, no, it's not, it's, it's for, it's for friends and family of people who go to those things I, i'm I I'm, I'm also an addict alcoholic but but i go to the other program too and today's 17 years i've been going to that program awesome. and this is a lesson what so i'm you never cheated on the first wife i'm assuming no and so you're just that's just you're you're not that way but i'm guessing that sherry's <clears throat> trust in you solidified that part of yourself that you would never have considered straight.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just the, you know, it's just the thought of, of me doing something like in being infidelity. With, with it, what's the word? Be cheating being
0: unfaithful. On, yeah. being
1: Unfaithful and how that would make her feel. And, you know, for that, in that, you know, when you think about being unfaithful on the road, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like five, five. literally, it's five seconds of Shangri-La. And then, and then she's in a cab. So now, that little five seconds of Shangri-La, are you going to, am I going to risk the years that I have invested with a woman sitting at home? You know, it's just. It's just you got to have a heart, you know, Yeah, you got to have a heart. I mean, Sandy,
0: I got to tell you, I'm I've been shocked to learn of some rock stars who seemingly have or and actors as well, who seemingly have these ideal relationships that we American that we look at and go, wow, they have a great marriage. That's one rocker that really kept and then find out no they've been fooling around the whole goddamn time right it's it's shocking to me when i hear this stuff
1: um one factor vicky and i it and, and you know it's not that i've never done drugs in my life you know if, the 80s or whatever you know the 80s were you know there was the the uptown and the downtown there was like you know the alcohol and the and the the, the
0: and then the there were those of who did who did all of those things the marching powder so
1: um you know, I, and I wasn't innocent in regard to those things, but I always had a, a I, I never went overboard. And I think that was maybe one factor that, you know, when somebody's really drunk uh, and, you know, and someone else wanders over in the bar and they're really drunk and they happen to be really attractive, you know, and it's like, so your, your resistance gets, you're involved with that with with that the rehab kind of thing so you know what I'm talking about Where your resistance your constitution goes out the friggin window and you, you know you're looking at this woman and she's gorgeous and you're half in the bag and oh why not uh, we want, want to go want to go Sandy, have an I can't
0: I can't tell you how many people I know that as sober as a judge that carry on the same that right carry on the same behaviors can't blame it on, on the booze no, or the pills.
1: I, right. You're right. You're right. I, I mean, that's not the only factor, but in, in 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 some cases where the person wouldn't normally if they were straight, and, you know, sometimes the alcohol breaks down, you do shit that you wouldn't normally do if you were straight sometimes. And it depends on the person, too. You know, Absolutely. again, in the 80s, I had my share of uh, drinking and doing a little line or two or whatever at four in the morning. But I yeah. go home. I go home. There might be a little conversation, but I'm going, I'm going home because I know who it's, who's waiting for me at home. And now since I had a child, since my daughter was born in 1994 and, you know, my daughter now is 28 and she is uh, probably she gets the, her strength as a woman from my wife. And uh, equal opportunity and diversity and uh, LGBT, ABCDEFG.
0: <laughs> she,
1: you know, equality, whatever. If I ever did anything, I, I don't want to suffer the wrath of my daughter.
0: Are you kidding? <laughs> she kicked
1: my ass.
0: Not to mention, my
1: wife will be right behind her, but like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know,
1: it's there, there's a lot. There's too much water under the bridge, Vicky. And for that five seconds of Shangri-La. And then, you know, am I going to risk 36 years I, of a relationship? Are you kidding? I'm,
0: it blows my mind to know that there are people who've made the opposite choice and taken that five minutes of Shangri-La and destroyed their family, destroyed their wives, destroyed their kids. And and it's it's almost irreparable. Still trying to make up the damage that gets done. Uh, I, I I really so. respect that you haven't walked that road.
1: I haven't walked that road, and I, and I I I will never ever walk that road if I haven't so far. Um um, you know the way my life is. When I look around and all all everything on this wall triggers a, a ton of memories, and a uh, and a lot of them have to do with her, with my wife, her being in, with me at different places and. You know when, when we weren't all doing as good as we are now we, there were times where, and she she's the one that held it together she was the consistent one with the job with me with the rock and roll life as a roller coaster right I tell you she was the consistent one that had the job that carried health insurance for the family right the, well during my downtime she was the one that kept the lights on and now it's coming back now i'm able to tell her she don't have to work anymore so it's 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 awesome but uh, I, I, there's just too much history. And, you know, John Lennon, John, I remember John Lennon saying in an interview, he said, sometimes, you know, the infidelity where you meet someone new and you have that honeymoon kind of that, that honeymoon excitement where you're finding out about people and there, you know, there's that electric, electricity going on sure. between two people. And then when when you're together for a long time, and you know, you, and you hear bodily sounds, and now you're burping in front of each other, <laughs> and, and you doing, you come out of the shower or whatever. And sometimes people think, well, you, you want to go, you're the butterfly, you want to go to another flower, you know, and, and have that honeymoon feeling again, and have that new fresh excitement feeling again. And all right so you leave that one behind you go to the new flower or the new person to have that honeymoon thing but eventually that's going to become old and you're going of to be part in front of them too <laughs>
0: of course <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> so are you going to spend your life going flower to flower to flower to flower There are
0: people to... who do that come on I we, know. there's plenty of people that do that we know I know I
1: know You know what Vicky we we can't we can't rationalize how some people why some people act the way they do or some people the actions that some people have uh or or it's the actions that they you know the things that they choose to do or choose to say you got to scratch your head sometimes you know it's it's um you can't control that but you have to you know I'm sure you've heard stories like everybody else about you know in the groups that you're with and the about relationships and about you know whatever you know Whatever it is. Well, like, I
0: think I think where we started in talking about karma and that it all coming back, and that you manifest, you reap what you sow. Correct. And you you have reaped the happiness that you have sown. And um, so okay, so in speaking of that, I want I want to get to your book before we go, Beat the okay. Odds in Business and Life. And Sandy, how did you have this change of life? You're a drummer, you're a rock and roll drummer and i know it didn't start with the book i know it started with speaking engagements and the book is in support of that but what made you shift gears at this stage of your life
1: it's still it always it it coincides with the message in my speaking in my presentation is that the way you treat people you have a if you have a positive outlook a positive anticipation of events that haven't happened yet Thinking positive about the future, because we have a choice of the way we think about future events or about an upcoming situation, we can think of it negatively or or positively. So that in combination with how you treat people. I didn't know what I was going to do when I I was 71 years old like I am now, or when I was tired of being in a Winnebago going on the road, or being in Europe for six months at a time. I didn't know what I was going to do when I wanted to come off the road. And it was out of me playing a gig with the Travers Band, the second incarnation with the Travers Band, 2016. I'm playing the San Diego Sports Arena, and I see this handicapped person, this woman in a wheelchair, in the first row. And, and when I'm playing the encore, I'm looking, scanning the first, second row, who's going to get my drumsticks? Because I go to the lip of the stage, and I throw drumsticks out after. Handicapped person, that's the one. So I go, show's over, I go throw the drumstick to the hand, toss the drumstick to the handicapped person. The person next to her intercepts it. I could have just kept walking. I went back and I went, no, give it to her. He gave it to her. I replaced his drumstick. The next day, the husband was sitting on the other side of the woman in the wheelchair. Facebook messaged me, can I call you? I want to call you. Can I have your phone number? And I thought I, I needed to call my lawyer. I thought maybe I'd poke a rock,
0: <laughs>
1: But I gave him. I didn't have to. I didn't yeah. have to. I gave him my phone number. He called me. Sandy, thank you so much. You don't know what you did for my wife. Nobody pays attention to her. She's always down in the dumps. But you, you made sure she got the drumstick out of 20,000 people, blah, blah, blah. She's going to put it in a shadow box, the whole thing. You know, she was next to tears, whatever. I'm coming to Nashville to speak. Are you available? I'd like you to meet you, meet you for coffee. I want to thank you in person again. I it was this somebody I never met before. Right. I didn't have to. I met him downtown Nashville at a Starbucks, and I t- I told him the Dave in the doorway, the Cindy Lauper story. Right. And I told him some other story. How'd you get that gig? How'd you get Jones' gig? How'd you get that, that, that? He was a rock and roll fan. And he invites me to his speaking engagement. Long story short, he tells the story, the Dave and his doorway story to his, his speaking audience. Mm-hmm. I'm on the side of the stage. It, it, after he introduced me, told the story, it got a good reaction. He correlated it to, you know, the way CEOs should treat their employees. They should... It's about the relationship. It's not about numbers all the time. It's not so. It's so. It's like you know. So you know to spend time with the common person. Mr. Rockstar drummer stops in the doorway, even though he's being told to get the hell out of the dressing room, whatever. So um, that's basically how it started. And he said to me. And walking out of that speak engagement at Nashville, he goes, "Listen, in a couple of weeks, I'm speaking at the to, to the future leaders of FedEx. They have I have an all day training seminar with them. Uh, why don't you come and tell the story yourself? Because you you've had experience talking to drum clinics and your school and your mu- music business classes or whatever. So right. speaking in public, speaking in in public is not an issue for me, as you can probably tell right now." <laughs> so i went ahead i went to his future uh, the future leaders of fedex and he called me up the long story short he called me up he goes i'll give you 10 minutes tell the cindy Lauper story yourself so i told it it got a really good reaction and i correlated i took his cue and correlated it to business and he goes walking out of there he said uh, hey sandy you got a you got a career that's a very strong story and you have a bunch of other similar similarly strong stories so right I'll help you kind of form the, the engagement, get your PowerPoint together, whatever, and, um, and I'll help you any way I can. His name was Mike Pierce, and uh, he goes by the, the stage name of Antarctic Mike, and he's a very successful speaker. And so basically that's how it started. And, and you know, that was, uh, that was is, close to five years ago.
0: This is another example, Sandy, of how you extended yourself without giving it a second thought. You didn't have to do it. You gave the woman the sticks. You made sure she got the sticks. It turned your life around. And if this is not an example of do the right thing and the right thing will happen, There's, Vicky, is there is Vicky. There is no.
1: There is no. There is no good deed that goes unrewarded you're rewarded in the same measure than you give and there's no there's no bad thing that goes unpunished it's a law it's like it's a, like a law if you drop a rock it's going to fall to the ground it's not an opinion it's fact and you do it you mentioned something very important you reach out to people when nobody's looking You'd reach out to people when there's nobody in the dressing room except for you and Dave and you're signing that autograph. You know, there's now there's 19,999 people watching me show <laughs>
0: throw the
1: drumstick to the handicapped person. But I didn't do it because his her, her husband is a speaker. And, and you I might also,
0: have a, you didn't, you stopped and made sure she got, you could have left. You made correct. the right intention, but you made sure she got it.
1: Yes. Yes. And I have another career and I'm not going to go into detail, but since the book came out, basically the career has like exploded.
0: Beat the odds in business and life. Sandy, I have so enjoyed spending more time with you. You know, I was was like, what are we going to talk about? We just talked like two months ago, (laughs) but this was really important. This is important at a whole different level talking about the humanity of doing the right thing right um and and that we do reap what we sow and this is why you're having this wonderful life this is why you have this wonderful wife and you have this wonderful relationship with your daughter and you have this new career and you you, it's it's because you put it out there in in a wonderful way and and
1: um, you know vicky and if i can If I can, the simple man that I am, uh, you know, uh, anybody can, you know, and and to do it in the music business, uh, as I don't have to tell you how topsy-turvy and unpredictable, and the waters of the music business are filled with sharks, and they're dressed up as goldfish. (laughs) And if I can do it in such an unpredictable business as the music business you know someone in a kind of a quote-unquote a straight business or a straight career can do it you know you can do it but yeah I I we're we're out of time already how come Well,
0: yeah because I, I'm actually speaking tonight to entrepreneurs oh that's right you
1: are you are and
0: uh, and it's really interesting Sandy because somebody approached me today I had this thing where I wrote for 5 minutes a day and I committed to it and I was I, I was accountable to someone. I have sent a check in to someone for 7672 days. I've sent her a check in that I've written for at least 5 minutes. And I wrote a book. I sent you my book. Did you get my book? I wrote I sent the book. Yes, I did. Yes. And so I love the
1: photo. I loved I loved <laughs> The, the China
0: Club is on it there. is yeah the
1: China and the beacon right
0: so but but anyway um I spoke at a meeting and this woman heard me say five minutes a day and today she wrote to me and she said because of you I've been writing for 305 days every day and I have a pitch meeting on Friday for a book proposal can you talk to me and you know i have a really packed so i said why don't you come to this meeting i'm speaking at tonight maybe i can help you there and i have a workshop on monday but after listening to you for an hour and 15 minutes fuck that i'm gonna make the time and even though it's what i do and i get paid to do and i'm gonna just make the phone call and i'm gonna talk to her because that's what we do it's what we do
1: that's what we do vicky and that's why you are where you are and that's why i'm <laughs> not able to
0: get online <laughs> no, it's the truth it's the truth it's that's awesome it's, Vicky. it's a wonderful life It, sandy thank you so much i've so enjoyed uh getting to know you again in this in this new incarnation i'm going to send you pictures i'm going to send you so many pictures
1: please do in a couple of months down the road you want to do part three we'll do part
0: three totally willing
1: to do part three
0: we'll do it we'll do it thank you so much i adore you sandy i love
1: you too vicky thank you very much bye See